Good afternoon, MLB Pro Group. Uh, my name is Scott Gessford. I'm your Oakland A's GM, and today I'm with the Anonymous GM, and we are going to talk about the Cubs and the Indians today. How are you today? Wonderful. Friday, can't complain. Well, just getting some more rain might be helpful, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, let's dig right into, let's start off with the Cubs today. And I, I know that Jab sent in his responses. So let's just start with there. How did how did Jab think his 2022 season went? So coming off of a 71 and 91 2022, that was a nine-game improvement from 2021. His goal was hitting 70 wins. He's done that. He's he's now hit 75 out of the 11 years in Chicago. Been a bit up and down. He was closer maybe to the wild card than he maybe thought he'd be heading into the season. But some of the young players got some got some more playing time. Um, it was a growing year in Chicago. I think there were either growing pains, but there was growth. Good. So how did... Let me ask you this, but how did you sum it up from last year for the Cubs? Again, I I, I would sum it up the, in a similar tone as Jabs put it. It was growth. You you look at their last five years, uh, five or six years. Going, going, you go all the way back to 2017. It was a team that won 85 games. Finished in fourth place, though, in a jumbled up uh, back when the you were in the NL Central and back when the NL Central was a uh, – a powerhouse of, of sorts, a powerhouse of not mediocrity, but a powerhouse of jumbled, jumbled up teams to get tight together above 500. And the Cubs thought we need to rebuild. And um, the rebuild took them to 53 wins the following year. So from 85 yeah. to 53, the bottom fell out. Uh, and, and the rebuild began. I mean, we saw Ryan Copeland, Madison Bumgarner a couple years later brought in in free agency and then 53 to 61. Okay, growth to 67. We're, we're trending up, but then 2021 fell back to 62, 71 last year. They finished at least 20 games out in five straight seasons. But they hit 71. So, so the only way that you, you can say is there's been growth. Is it do I still think the Cubs are the team to beat in the next couple of years? No, but it's better than what it has been. So growth. Okay, good. So what does he project his starting rotation to be like? Well, in, in Chicago, it starts with their two former big time free agent acquisitions. You're gonna have Ryan Copeland coming off of a good year, healthy year, still making twenty to nine million dollars. He's still expected to be an ace in Chicago. So everything goes through Ryan Copeland. Behind Copeland, we have another veteran. You're going to have Madison Bumgarner. Missed all of last year with a torn UCL. How will he his arm recover at an advanced age? Wasn't sure if he was going to opt out, but he didn't. It's tough to opt out coming off of an injury and making the type of money that he is. Behind him, you have three pitchers with mixed pedigrees. Uh, you have a 26-year-old Julio Urias. Posted a 2.3 war, 119 ERA plus last year as a rookie. I think there's high expectation expectations with Urias in Chicago. We have a veteran, a long-time steady performer in Don Porter, who's going to be a back-ended pitcher in Chicago. And then there's a bit of a mystery. There's Bill Hawk. 
scouts have long thought that Bill Hawk's three pitch makeup of a cutter curveball changeup are elite. He's had horrific splits throughout his entirety of his career. He wasn't good as a starter on the other side of Chicago last year, but being acquired by the Cubs and limited five starts, he was given hits, given up walks, but the ERA was under three and a half. So there was promise. But again, 2022 as a White Sox wasn't good. 2021 as a Diamondback mixed bag. 2020 as a Diamondback mixed. The back end of the rotation, you keep them there, low hope. You could be rewarded with Bill Hawk. But if, if there's expectations of him developing into what many thought he could be early in his career, I think he, that would be misguided from the Cubs. But you're looking at Copeland, Bumgarner, Urias, Porter, and Hawk as their one through five. And what does he do next year when Copeland and Porter are both free agents at the end of this year? I mean, I, I think there's no chance that they're back. But when you look at the Chicago farm system, you do have some young young pitchers that probably are a year or two away from being deserved of a rotation spot. Spencer Jones has electric stuff, 174 strikeouts in 137 minor league innings. His ERA the last two years has been under three. Ryan Jensen, 24, still stuck in the low minors, but good stuff. J.J. Goss, a former sixth-round pick in 2019, is showing even better stuff, especially as his uh, velocity increases. 2.68 ERA in 24 innings in South Bend last year. I think those are some names that you could see in Chicago um, as soon as next season. Do you do you think that there's a chance that uh, Jabs trades Copeland during the year to get prospects? I think he should. Um, I'm not of the belief that the Chicago White Sox will be competing for a playoff spot come the, July. The Cubs. Cubbies. Sorry, yes, the Cubs. Um, the issue at hand with Ryan Copeland is one I think we see throughout the league at times. Making $29 million, the first thing that people are going to demand is retention. Uh, how much retention would the Cubs be willing to pay? Now, when you ask for retention, the Cubs are going to want more in return. If the Cubs demand no retention, that limits the number of teams that Copeland can be traded to. And now, correct me if I'm wrong, I have to look this up. Does Copeland have a no trade clause? He does not. No. Um, I would expect Ryan Copeland not to be a Chicago Cub come July 31st. I would say the same thing, but, you know, you just never know what jab sometimes. He's a fan favorite in Chicago. Uh, you have that. He's very popular. He's been a good pitcher in Chicago. I don't expect him just to hand him out to another team. Uh, but you, you, at some point, you need to get what you can get. And come July, again, if you're not in it, if the Cubs aren't in it, move has to be made. Right. Exactly. All right. So let's talk about his bullpen a little bit. The bullpen sh should be maybe stronger than the back end of the rotation. Uh, Alex Ramirez struggled last year, but it was kind of the first time he's ever struggled in his career. Um, his ERA rose 
over two and a half points from 2021 last year. The innings were way up. So maybe by design, you cut that. You again, jabs. Yep. Jabs cuts the innings back uh, because the strikeouts were way up, but the walks were way up. So if, if you find if jabs finds a balance between 50 innings and 100 innings, maybe you put Ramirez in a better position to succeed. And if Ramirez has a back, bounce back year, um, that'll be key. But getting to Ramirez shouldn't be too big of a problem. Uh, John Duran, the 25-year-old Dominican uh, relief pitcher, appears to have a uh, firm grip on a stopper slash setup type of role. Um, it's 98 on the gun, fastball, curveball, changeup. Was really good as a rookie in 50 and a third innings last year. Again, like Ramirez, stroke struck out over 11 batters per nine innings. Walks a big time concern, but I, but from everything I've seen from scouting reports, people expect Duran to uh, be better in that regard. The big acquisition was the crosstown trade, bringing in Orlando Garcia from the White Sox, who was very good uh, last year in Chicago and has been good the last couple of years. Taking him out of the closer role, Garcia appears to want to be a starter, so I don't know how that's going to work with his fragility in terms of his mindset. I want to start, okay, you're in the bullpen, but now you're also not pitching the ninth inning, you're not pitching the eighth inning necessarily. How does Garcia fit there? But he's a very good pitcher. Hey, he's, uh, only, started, he's only started two games since 2020. He's not a starter. No, no, no. You're right. He's he's not. He shouldn't be, but he thinks he is. He's, yeah. one, of, he's one of those kinds. Uh, <laughs> we've, we've seen a handful of those throughout the league, uh, these pesky relief pitchers that get told by their agent, hey, you're a starter. Go, 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 go get that starter money. Uh, should work out. Jason Hatfield coming off of injury like Bumgarner, bounce back like Ramirez. What do you get there? Bill Smith, 26-year-old, performed well after being acquired on waivers from Detroit last year. Then you have some, uh, what's the right way to put it, hopeful pieces in Chicago. Anthony Klump, experimenting, wasn't good last year at all. Lance Guy, Toronto's trash, became Chicago's treasure. That was only in 18 innings. What do you get from there? Jason, uh, Jose Castro, not Jason Castro, Jose Castro. Good stuff. Fifth year as a Cub. Uh, I think the Cubs and Cubs fans know what they're going to get out of him. So you're looking at, at the back end, Ramirez, Duran, Garcia with high expectations, and it's a matter of getting to them. Uh, could be not an issue, but an adventure at times for the Cubs. Yeah, sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's move over to their their lineup and their, and their hitters. What did Jabs predict his starting lineup to be? It starts with the pride of Chicago. You have Ed Harris moving back to his natural position in right field, no longer pretending to be a center field. Center fielder, the Cubs have admitted he is a right fielder and he will be batting leadoff for the Cubs this season. And when you look at his spring thus far, Ed Harris is 7 of 16, hitting 438, 526 on base percentage. Uh, I think the Cubs are excited to see what he can do at the top of the lineup. In the two spot for now, it will be the other corner outfielder. They're looking at Earl James playing in left field. Decent sophomore campaign, 269, 322, 462 split last year. They're hoping, though, that gets back closer to his rookie season. 
If he could go 275, 330, and a little more power, I think that's what the Cubs are hoping for there. And the three-spot DH, Eloy Jimenez, they're excited. They're very, this is a team that benefits greatly from the designated hitter coming to the National League with the next two players in their lineup between Jimenez and Jordan Alvarez at first base, annually hitting 30 homers. Uh, the top four, I think, in Chicago, again, like the back end of the rotation in the top, at least Copeland, there's high hopes in Chicago. Jake Berger playing third base this season, still wanting more. He was a former high draft pick. They need more out of Berger. Shortstop, uh, Tomas Ortega did a great job last year. Gold Glove winner at shortstop. Byron Buxton will be given the reins to center field. Pure defensive center fielder. Maybe the bat can do something. Gavin Lux at second base. Again, sophomore slump. Can he get back to what was more of a promising rookie year? Uh player that again came in with high accolades throughout the minor leagues what can they get out of gavin lux hitting ninth here defensive catcher jose felix the bat's not much but the gloves great gloves up the middle felix ortega buxton cubs should be decent defensively up the middle yeah buxton has been all around the league so maybe he's going to find his home in chicago uh yes split 2021 in uh the minors then with you in Oakland, sent out to Chicago with the White Sox. We performed well. And then last year, the strikeouts have been a bugaboo of Buxton. If he can f- find any way to cut those down at all, striking out 170 times in 556 at-bats, 134 games was a lot. So what can they get out of him? But defensively, speed, power, there's talent. Just, just honing it in Chicago. Yeah, and it's hard to live with a 232 batting average and a 261 on base percentage. Yeah, not not many walks. 22 walks compared to those 170 strikeouts as a White Sox last year. Yeah, so let's talk about some of his prospects. Uh, does he expect any key prospects to get called up this year, or who are some of his better prospects? I know you've mentioned a few of them already. It doesn't appear that there's going to be any prospects called up uh, early in the season. The 25-man, 26-man roster appears to be set. There was the um, – we mentioned uh, Spencer Jones and J.J. Goss earlier, but there's one more player relevant uh, in the immediate, more immediate plans in Chicago, and that is Kyle Baranovich, uh, another starting pitcher, I believe. You could correct me if I'm wrong there. I have to look him up quickly. Yes, uh, another yep. starting pitcher, 25-year-old starting pitcher at South Bend. I mean, fourth-round pick in 2019, back-to-back 12 and four years at South Bend. So I don't know why we're still pitching in South Bend jabs. Get Kyle Baranovich <laughs> out of a ball. Uh, his 268 innings have been enough, uh, but another good arm. So so the Cubs, the Cubs are happy with what they have in terms of starting pitching arms in the minors. And then, then you kind of look at their, their – uh, Big league roster. Jordan Alvarez is only 25. Gavin Lux is only 25. Ed Harris is still sub 30. Eloy Jimenez is 26. There aren't that many old advancing pieces of their core. Jose Felix is an advanced age at 34 behind the plate. So there's going to be need to be some decisions there. They brought in striker Trahan last year, maybe a piece of the future. Uh, And then Cam Cameron, Cam Cannon, 
the 25-year-old second baseman. Maybe he can have a spot moving forward up the middle of the infield. But for the most part, the Cubs lineup isn't that that old. They should have a lot of these pieces for uh, for years to come. And then they got some veteran pitchers to help out with the youngsters for a year exactly. or two. So what did Jabs expect from the Cubs in 2023? From everything I have heard in Chicago and those close to the situation in Chicago, the Cubs think they can be in the thick of the playoff race. When we, That's a, that's a tough division. It's an interesting division. When you look at it last year, the Cardinals ran away with the division. I think. Let me pull it down as I'm speaking out of my mouth here. They did run away with the division. Six and a half games on Milwaukee. The Reds, seven back. Cubs, 20 back. The Pirates, 21. Uh, 31 back. The Pirates think they're going to be better. Uh, the Reds. The Reds and the Brewers were probably better than the records indica- indicated last year, and, and the Cardinals were 91 and 71 despite injuries and despite uh, the new look of the or- organization uh, moving in last year. And, and you look around the National League, the National League's got some talented teams. Uh, we've talked about before the Phillies and the Braves, to me, are two of the best teams in the National League. Yep. The Diamondbacks, the Dodgers are two of the best teams in the National League, two 100-win teams last year. Um, the Rockies dealt a tough blow the other day in spring training with an arm injury to their, uh, one of their pitch starting pitchers. But between those five teams right there, plus the nationals at 85 wins, the Mets, nothing went right for the Mets last year at all. Um, where do the Cubs fit in again? They, they think they can compete, but I, I struggle with that a little bit. I do too. I, I think they're going to compete against the Pirates. They'll compete against the Pirates. They'll compete against the Marlins. They'll compete against the Giants and the Padres. And they very well could be better than all of those teams again. But 13 games behind the Reds in your own division for third place on a Reds team that missed the playoffs. It's an uphill climb. And... and the Phillies didn't get the Phillies didn't get worse. The Braves added Bryce Harper, so the Diamondbacks lost Bryce Harper, but they were 103 games and stuff. Plenty of talent. The Dodgers win 100 games and bring in Danny Holson. It's, yeah. it's an uphill climb to the playoffs. <laughs> As the, you mentioned one thing though earlier that that maybe is worth revisiting: the Ryan Copeland thing. We've long talked about here on happy hours, whether that be myself, whether that be Breton, uh, even perhaps you, Scott. The Cubs have never truly had a full rebuild, a full not not a rebuild. They, they've gone through a rebuild, but they've never sold off pieces. Right. Yep. I, I think there maybe is a willingness this year that if things don't go all right, because they are expecting the playoffs, maybe they do things a little differently, and maybe that does move. Orion Copeland as a type of player that could be moved. Maybe now this, this, I don't know, no inside information on this one, but could that also lead to someone like Ed Harris? 
only two more years of arbitration after this year. And we've seen the Cubs, they're very, uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? They love their franchise type players. Jose Felix, they could have moved a couple years ago. They never didn't, did. Mark Sorensen signed that mega team friendly deal, never got rid of them. They like to keep their pieces around. But if, th- yeah. if things, again, don't work out, maybe this is the time the Cubs try something different. So Ryan Copeland, Ed Harris would be the two guys I would keep my eye on. And uh, and Orlando Garcia. Eight, to those, making $8 million. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to ask you, will, will those guys bring enough back in order to fuel the, the rebuild? Copeland, no. Um because of the $29 million, because he's a pure rental. I, anyone who acquires him, I, I would be hard-pressed to see extend him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and the finding the balance of retention versus non-retention, even if you to retain, retain him at 20, again, 20, the, the Cubs retain his full deal today. What is someone paying for 34-year-old pitcher? I don't know. Not, 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 fran- nothing franchise-altering. Right. Orlando Garcia, Orlando Garcia could be the best bullpen arm come the deadline. Uh, veteran, veteran arm, been good in just about any role. If he, if he's off to a good, good year, uh, again, franchise altering, no, but solid pieces, definitely. Ed Harris is the franchise changer. Uh, with the team control, under thirty years old, he's hit three hundred a couple times in his career. If he, can, if he can do that again, you you could expect to see a decent haul being sent to Chicago for someone like Ed Harris. Okay. Cool. So that will put a bow on the Cubs. Uh, so so let me but let me ask you real quick on the Cubs. Do you see them competing against you know or being able to overtake Cincinnati or Milwaukee even for you know third place? In a division, on the top of my head, no. There, there was a big gap between those teams last year, and if I recall, yeah. kind of like um, the Mets, how nothing went right in New York last year. From what I recall, while the Reds and the Brewers finished strong. Both had stretches where things weren't going their way. Um, yeah. The Reds, 12 and 16 in September, 11 and 16 in June, but they're pretty good the other months of the year. Uh, their bullpen was awful. AJ Cole was hurt. They couldn't get through the ninth inning. They were still very young, uh, but the rotation was good. Uh, they brought in some veteran pieces this offseason. They could be better than they were last year, and, and the same in in Milwaukee, uh, a team that kind of sputtered out of the gate. They were fourteen and thirteen in April, twelve and sixteen in May, thirteen and fourteen in June, and then they were eight, one, nine, and fifteen games over five hundred from July through September. And then, again, a team that could not get outs in the ninth inning with a bullpen that, in my eyes, on paper should be better than it was. Um, it just, it, it, the Cubs don't appear to be in that same class. And 
the Cardinals, it all, everything dictates in the Central through St. Louis. The St. Louis is the most talented team on paper. Right. But even, they, even though they, uh, oh, the second baseman that they put up on waivers because he wouldn't waive his no trade clause. Cedric Rutherford. Yes. Even without him. Even without him, and even with the injuries they've dealt with in the rotation with Craig Cooper last year, among others, there, there's, there's hope in St. Louis. Still, it's just can they harness it? Do they have the? Are they focused throughout the season for a team that, like Minnesota and the other Central Division, that's so used to winning the division, can they be focused for 162 games? Because if they are, the Cardinals probably win the division again. So, and you mentioned the Twins. Rocky and the Cardinals Aiden in the same sentence. <laughs> That's uh yeah, it's, <laughs> it still still takes time to get used to them being in opposite divisions. Yes, it does. All right, let's turn our attention over to the Indians in, in the American League Central. Oh, how did Andrew think his season went last year? Uh, let me tell you in a second because I closed my document that I was. No, okay. <laughs> 2020, 2020, 2022 was pretty poor in Cleveland through the eyes of Andrew. Um, but it, you, you can't put it on him. Taken over after Aiden made the move to St. Louis, the team had overpaid veterans. It had some bad, bad contracts. There weren't a whole lot of moves that Cleveland could make. They knew 2022 was going to be poor. And it was uh, 50, 56 and 106 after three straight years of winning at least 81 games. Um, the first time the Indians finished in last place in the Central. Their lowest team batting average since 2018. Their highest team ERA in franchise history. The defense was as bad as it had been since 2018. Attendance dropped over a million fans. Nothing went right in Cleveland last year. Um, but whether Aiden, whether Andrew was in charge, whether Aiden was in charge, it wouldn't have mattered last year in Cleveland. Um, it was destined to be one of those years. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So uh, what about their starting rotation? They have a couple of really good, I, I guess I'll call them young, they're 27 in Swift and Stevens. But Rod that. Swift. Rod Swift is interesting because he's got all the makeup in the world. He's got a five pitch arsenal, some great pitches. The only thing that holds him back at times is his velocity. He only hits ninety four on the gun, and we saw that with a decrease last year in his strikeout rate, dropping over two batters per nine innings. But other than that, Rod Swift. As long as he stays healthy, still as good as they come. You mentioned Sean Stevens, the 27, soon to be 28-year-old right-hander, came over from Pittsburgh a handful of years ago. Nearly pitched 500 ball last year on a down in a, in a down year for Cleveland. ERA under three and a half, WAR of over three, uh, a solid one-two punch. And then you talked about the young guys. Um, Top 20 overall prospect in Grayson Rodriguez, the 23-year-old who came to Cleveland via Tampa Bay and I believe the Steven Strasburg in, in the K to Cahill trade. Um, yes. Unlike Swift, unlike Stevens' electric arm, 99 on the gun, 
was really good in Triple uh, A last year, both for Tampa and Cleveland. He's ready for the bigs. Will they let him um, pitch out of three spot immediately? Will he be sent back to the main, the minors for some financial reasons? To be determined, my gut tells me he's going to be in the big league rotation immediately. And then four or five spot right now looks like Ben Camp has an up uh, as an advantage right now for the four spot. Wasn't good last year. Three and ten ERA just to under five. Doesn't strike out that many batters. Walks a few too many. Kind of a placeholder arm in Ben Camp. And then the five spot likely to be that of Gabriel Guerrero. Came coming over via waivers last month from Texas, who's been good at times in his career back in 2019 with the Dodgers, 2020 with the Rays, sub three and a half ERA for both of those years, including a 2.35 ERA with the Dodgers way back in 2019. Pitched mainly in the minors last year. Five pitch arsenal, ground ball pitcher, so maybe keeping things in the ballpark would be a uh, thing that they value there but those appear to be the five arms that the indians or mo- the guardians are most excited about grayson rodriguez spring hasn't been his finest era five and just under six ten hits allowed in seven and two thirds so the electric stuff not quite playing so far in spring training they need that to improve and frankly they need all three spring training hasn't been kind of the guardians 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 yeah, i have Stevens, the same problem right? John Stevens, ERA at 6.75, Rod Swift over seven, allowing five innings, five earned runs in his six innings pitch. So, Well, and, and they, like you said, they only won 56 games last year. So they have the pitchers like Rod Swift and, and Sean Stevens. Do you see them trading them for prospects and doing the full rebuild, or you think that they're going to build around them and continue on? In my eyes, you need – it's one thing to rebuild um, when you're struggling. It's another thing to completely give your franchise a no hope. But you also need to plan for the long term. So there, there's the – if you move Rod Swift, and again, the Guardians are rebuilding. The Guardians are not winning the Central this year. The Guardians are not making the playoffs in the American League this year. There's no denying that. I don't think there's any denying that. Rod Swift is only signed through 2024. At some point, you're going to have to pay somebody in Cleveland if if you want to be relevant, not just next this year, next year, but in 2025, 2026, 2027. You've moved Cade Cahill. You got Chris Betts, who's signed through 2024. You're going to have to pay someone. Is it Betts? Is it Swift? I think you have to re-sign one of them. I don't think you can let both of them, A, walk, or B, trade. If you trade them both, you're pushing that timeline back years. Um, So it's a matter of do you rebuild behind the plate with Chris Betts? Do you, do you rebuild with Rod Swift at the top of the rotation? So to answer your question... You have to weigh that. Yeah, there, there's a fine balancing act of, of acquiring numerous pieces versus having a, cor- a franchise cornerstone and, and finding that right balance. Now, with Swift, 
the number of franchise altering arms and, and rotation leading arms at under 30 years old is rare across this league. So you could, you could net quite a few pieces for someone like Rod Swift, I would think. I would think so too. Yeah. So let's look at their bullpen. I know they're young. So what kind of, you know, how do they see their bullpen stacking up? I think there's some pieces that they like in the back of the bullpen in Julio Rosado taking over for the closer that was traded to Cleveland, to Oakland, who was then traded to Boston, correct? Yeah, Ken Gary. His name is, there we go. Uh, so Julio Rosado there. Then Mark McCain, who's been good in the past, 2020 was really good. 2021 was really good. Kind of like Alex Ramirez in Chicago, the innings pitched went up last year for Mark McCain and the success went down. So finding the balance. Will the three hitter minimum rule benefit some of these pitchers in that pitchers pitching in the sixth inning, the fifth, sixth, seventh inning are no longer going to be asked to pick at just one batter out. Next thing you know, Mark McCain has to come in in the seventh inning and pitched an inning in two thirds more often than not. Will that benefit these 70, 75, 80 and 80 inning relief pitchers and cut that back down to the 60 inning mark? Uh, so Rosado in the ninth, McCain in the eighth, you bring over, uh, Andrew brings over rather Michael Farr from Milwaukee in a trade back in November. We hear this a lot. Great stuff. Production on the field hasn't been there. Wasn't there in 2021 as a rookie. Wasn't there last year in very limited innings before spending much of the year at AAA where he was attempted to be converted back to a starting pitcher where that failed miserably. He's a a relief pitcher slotted back into his probably more natural position as a relief pitcher. Will they see that stuff increase? I kind of think they will. I, I actually really like that addition. And then further down the bullpen in the um, earlier innings, rather, Craig Parker, Enrique Diaz, and Charlie Toter all expected to contribute in the bullpen for uh, Cleveland. One more name uh, out there, Bryce Montez, Salvador Salvador Montez, not not Bryce, Salvador, uh, who is one of the, again, Brighter spots in terms of his stuff, 42 strikeouts and 35 innings, but the area was north of six last year. That That's looking like your Cleveland uh, bullpen this coming season. Yeah, Montez has a hard time uh, walking people, too. You know, his control is low. Iffy, yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to his lineup and, and see where he sees that stacking up. They're not, they don't have a true really leadoff hitter, which is concerning in that for now they penciled Adam Hall at third base in the leadoff spot. Not a leadoff hitter. So right there, I think that tells us enough about the depth in Cleveland that's <laughs> not there. But the two spot could be manned by perhaps the one of the favorites for American League rookie. Uh, no, he's probably not qualified. He probably paid, played too much last year. Alec Thomas in center in left field this year. Yeah, he was up for uh, 122 days last year. Uh, 99 games, nearly 400 at-bats, more than I expected. Yeah. Still uh, a really good rookie debut last year. Expects better things even this year. Three-spot veteran. Feels like he's been around forever in Cleveland. <laughs> Danny Espinosa, unfortunately, he spent the last two years in the minor leagues. And right now, he's slated to hit the three-spot. 
Behind Espinosa, he'll get plenty of protection from Aaron Phillips and Chris Betts. And Chris Betts, as good of a catcher as there is in the league. Further down, almost the second half of the low lineup could be better than maybe the one in the two spot, one spot at least. But I, I understand the desire to keep maybe some of these pieces without the pressure of the leadoff spot, and that would be Jazz Chisel. He will be having his rookie year. In Cleveland, Nick Nick Williams, a former – did he win a batting title in 2020? Was his 324 good enough for the batting title? I feel like it was. No, it was not. I don't Nonetheless, remember who he hit 324 yeah. a couple years ago. So a, a talented bat. The average has dropped the last two years, but still more than capable there. Uh, Miguel Andujar hitting – Eighth and Alan Walker hitting ninth. You have Jerry Jeremy Ironman on the bench. Um, Tommy Joseph on the bench. There's some bright spots again. Alec Thomas is a good player. Chris Betts is a good player. I'm excited to see what Jazz Chisholm can give the Guardians. Nick Williams, I think, has potential to rebuild. Aaron Phillips spent time in Oakland way back when. Way back uh, when, couldn't yeah. Hit, couldn't hit then, still can't hit now. What do they get out of him? If you can get on the speeds there. So they're, they're pieces in Cleveland. But when you put them together, do they have the uh, a full puzzle? Probably not. But but pieces. They're, they're, they're pieces to be excited about. Yeah, and you've mentioned some of his better prospects so far. Chisholm, who he got from the A's and, and Waxman. Then he has a couple of pitchers in Rodriguez and Mills that he's high on. Is there anybody else that you see? Russell, keep an eye uh, out for immediately uh, in the near future. Well, yeah, I think Davis Mills definitely is going to be in that rotation sooner rather than later. We we talked Ben Camp, we talked Gabriel Guerrero. There's room behind Swift Stevens and Rodriguez for Davis Mills uh, to be out. And I really like what Evan Waxman has shown uh, his growth with his bat. Uh, either corner spot, and when you look at Miguel Andahar and Adam Hall at the corners right now in Cleveland, Waxman, again, there's no need to rush him, but I think he'll be up in the near future. Uh, Evan Applewhite, perhaps, in that bullpen down the line. Yadier Alvarez acquired uh, from Oakland late last season. Really good stuff. It's 99 on the gun. Is he someone that could benefit, could make the bullpen in Cleveland better? I, I think he could. Darren Baker, uh, one more, one more player contact up the middle defense. Could he? Is he someone that long term is the uh, up the middle partner for for Jazz? Uh, throw Baker at second, Jazz at short, and did your offense just get better there? So, so the, there, there's some young pieces in Cleveland. I think could be could be seen in the big league squad sooner rather than later. Yeah, exactly. They they have some talent to come up. So, uh how does how does uh do they see their 2023 season looks for them? I think everything I've been told in Cleveland and those around Cleveland and really those around the league I think of all see a similar picture. The Guardians aren't going to be good. Other than their bright spots, uh, especially on days Rod Swift pitches, on days some days that Grayson Rodriguez pitches, um, 
and there's going to be excitement around Chris Betts, and there's going to be excitement around Alec Thomas, and if Waxman and Chisholm and other young pieces get opportunities, there 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 are things to be excited about. But the win loss record in 2023 will have Cleveland searching hard for victories. Yeah, and they and they have no money anymore. You know, they're up against their cap for this year and and for next year. Yeah, you look back to the trade, uh, the unthinkable trade that happened, uh, the Michael Pineda trade, where it felt like Michael Pineda had no chance in the world to be traded years ago, and then Aiden found a way to trade him. Unfortunately, that trade brought Tommy Joseph back at a position where Tommy Joseph wasn't needed behind the plate. Now you have these other guys at DH, and Tommy Joseph is the $20 million bench piece. Uh, We mentioned Chris Betts. a really good piece, but now he's getting paid like a really good piece. Nick Williams making $15 million a year, a former player capable of winning a batting title, still a good piece, but on a team that won 50 something, 56 games last year, maybe a little too much. Um, so, yeah, when you don't win last year, your owner becomes a little tighter with his wallet. Huh. And, and the, while we thought Miguel Michael Pineda was untradeable, now we think Tommy Joseph is untradeable. Uh, to hit, they just aren't. There's not a big market for 31 year old catchers who can't catch making 20 million dollars a year. Right, and so, all right, so pretend you're the the GM of the Guardians. Do you go and and trade off bets Swift? Stevens or two of them to try to free up some financial stuff or maybe even attach Tommy Joseph to one of them to see if they can find somebody to take them. So I have never been one to attach bad con. I, I'm not one who enjoys seeing bad contracts attached to good players. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you for this reason. If I'm going to trade a franchise piece like Chris Betts, I want to maximize value. I'm not going to win this year. I'm not going to win next year. And I'm not going to win in 2025. Well, Tommy Joseph has little value to me. You're still better off keeping him or releasing him and paying him, paying him off than to not get franchise altering prospects back. I'd rather get more of them than get rid of Tommy Joseph. So to answer that part of the question, I would not attach Tommy Joseph to anyone. Just everyone's got to have a backup catcher. Right. Everyone needs a guy who can DH at some point. That's Tommy Joseph. Just He is what he is. But I'm not attaching with anyone. Now, to get back to what we kind of talked about earlier, Betts versus Swift. If I had to choose, I'm re-signing Rod Swift and I'm trading Chris Betts. For the mere, mere factor that I don't know if I want to pay a catcher $25 million a year. You could right. always transition him first. You could always transition him to DH, but his value is he's an elite catcher. And I would trade him to a more of a team that's ready to win that can afford to pay him $20, 25000000 million a year behind the plate. And we saw that with Jed McKinley in Colorado and the type of package Seattle paid for that. Um, you, don't, you don't need to ask necessarily for five players if you're Andrew, but you asked for three three players, a pitcher and a position player at least, that are 
either in their first year in the bigs and have shown promise on, on a team that, that needs to make a move or, or high-end prospects. But, but Chris Betts, is, to me, is the guy that I'd be more focused on moving than Swift. And I'd build around Swift. I'd build around Swift, Swift, Rodriguez, and Mills, and you're set, you're set for a while. Especially you can, you can re-sign Swift for five years and, and you still haven't gotten to the free agent years of Rodriguez, Mills, Waxman, Jazz, Thomas. Uh, that's why I think you're better off with uh, the long-term deal to Swift over Betts. Just my take. Right. Nope. And that's what I asked you for. So that that's awesome. So um, <laughs> do you see the Guardians battling for the number one overall pick this year? I'm not sure how much of a battle it's going to be, but yes. <laughs> um, I mean, if you're rebuilding and retooling. No, no, I don't I don't think they're I don't think Cleveland would be disappointed by that. I, I think they're they they're going into the season expecting that to be the case. And. Just when you look around, Pittsburgh expects to be better. Um, so you kind of eliminate them from competition for the number one pick. We just heard from Jabs in Chicago that they expect to be in the playoffs. So I don't know if we can expect them to be in the hunt for the first overall pick. San Francisco's kind of stuck in a spot, but I think they're better than Cleveland is. Um, the Mets and the Nationals, I, I don't think – I mean, the Mar- the Marlins are a team I could see competing for the number one overall pick. I, I want to say the Yankees, but they're 7-2 and two in the spring, and they've got talent. I mean, they have offensive talent. They still can't pitch, and I still don't know how they get anyone out. But So maybe the Yankees, the Yankees, the, the Marlins, the Guardians, I, the White Sox maybe. I, I, I don't think the White Sox are in that tier. So, yeah, I think Cleveland – is in the mix for the number one pick. And as of today are, are the favorites to at least the favorites. Again, let's, let's remember this, the draft lottery next year. They're, they're one of the favorites to be one of the most likely teams to earn the number one pick in 2024. Right. Exactly. Uh, so as we wrap up this conversation about the Cubs and the guardians, is there any last minute thoughts you want to get out there? Um, on either team. I, I'm interested to see both of them for different reasons. Again, I, th- I think Chicago, while I don't expect the Cubs, and we talked about this, not to be a playoff team, I am excited to see what Ryan Copeland can do and, and very interested to see that trade market as the year goes on. It, starting the day, I would have told you there was no chance Ed Harris got traded, but the more we talked about the Cubs situation, the more I'm talking myself into seeing Ed Harris on the trade block at some point this year and the type of offer that the Cubs could receive there. That could be interesting in Cleveland. I, I think you painted the picture well. Bets and Swift. What what will come with Bets and Swift this year? Again, they're signed through next year, so there's no immediate need to move them today, tomorrow, July, this season. But perhaps that those talks heat up. Uh, the young arms, Rodriguez Mills. I'm excited to see that in Cleveland, and um, I'm excited to see Cleveland grow again um, because we did see a natural rivalry with Aiden and Rocky for years as fierce as any rivalry across this league. And then it's taken uh, a step back with Cleveland's rebuild and in a division that's frankly tough with the twins, the tigers and all their all stars, uh, the Royals bringing in Mark Baker. So the AL central, the AL Central is inter- interesting. The NL Central is inter- interesting. It's been interesting for years since your time back in Cincinnati. 
Uh, and despite all the shuffling, we still seem see the same two teams on top. So will it be the Twins and the Cardinals here again in the AL and NL Central, respectively? Right, and you never know with – I mean, we've already seen teams like uh, the Angels got hit with the injury bug with uh, – which one of their pitchers got hurt? Uh, Holtz, Holtzman. So, I mean, once we get more injuries too, team that is supposed to be competitive and, and go for a division title might get a little bit desperate and then start reaching out to these teams and offering a little bit more than they might have in the past. You, you Exactly. A team like the Mets, who Mets, uh, yep. took that step back last year. Uh, we've seen the Rays put Hunter Johnson and Gary Griffith on the trade block. Are, are they out there hunting for big league bats? Could could they be in the market? Toronto, if Toronto is under pressure from Baltimore or Boston this year, does we know Mitch is as, as aggressive as anyone? Do the Jays do the Jays do it? Uh, Colorado hunting down the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks. Your your point is solid that there there will be teams. Uh, that make moves. Oakland trying to chase down all they're trying in the AL West. The, the Braves, uh, you never can count the Braves out when a big name is available. So that's right. There are so pieces. Which, there are pieces and teams out there that will will pursue. Makes it much more interesting that way. Well, I appreciate your time today, and we'll get together. There's some more teams that have sent in their their list, and we'll get together at some point and go over a few more teams. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And thank you to Andrew and Jabs for providing me with that information, providing you with that information, providing us with that information. And hopefully we did a decent job of sharing their insight on their franchises. Hey, that's all we can do is try, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, well, thank you. And we'll be chatting with you a little bit later. Thanks for having me.